Welcome to the Anonymous Andrew Podcast. Life and the choices we make. The choices other people make. Why we choose to ignore the red flags. Red flags like gaslighting, cheating, addiction, mental illness, and much more. What role do they play in relationships? Follow me each week as we discuss these topics with anonymous guests and experts to hopefully become better humans, resulting in better choices. Like I say, been there, still doing that. Now on to the show. Anonymous Andrew back with you once again with another exciting episode. Today we have a guest with a story. You know, folks, when I started this podcast, I thought that my story was pretty horrific, and, and I still do. But the more I have guests on, either anonymous or um, people with um, stories or books, um, they are blowing me away with the the abuse that's going on in 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 our society today it's just amazing and while i will never try to compare stories because there is you can't compare one person's trauma or tragedy to to your own or whatever but what you're about to hear is mind-blowing and um so i'm going to keep this short i want to get right to the interview um, here's an interview with a woman named Elizabeth, and she's got a story that is just um, jaw-dropping. So I hope you enjoy this, and we will talk to you on the other side of the interview. Hello, everybody. Anonymous Andrew back with you again, and today... I have a very special guest. Her name is Elizabeth. I'm going to try to say this right. Elizabeth Makotowicz. All right. Elizabeth, help me out here. Makotowicz. Makotowicz. Okay. I even phonetically tried to spell it out. Makotowicz. Welcome, Elizabeth. (laughs) And thank you for that. Uh, Elizabeth is an artist, a writer, an entrepreneur, an activist. She also has her own brand now. But what caught my eye about Elizabeth was she has been to prison and she was painting murals as an inmate in prison. Um, And she's also in recovery. And um, it's when I read this bio, it seemed pretty traumatic. And this is what my podcast is about is, is the trauma and the life. Uh, of the healing process. So Elizabeth, I'm going to throw it to you. Tell us your story. I am eager to hear this and I'm sure my audience is too. All right. Well, um, in my early twenties, like I never grew up in a family that, you know, exposed me to violence, drugs, or, you know, chaos of any sort. I mean, they had a messy divorce, but you know, that, that was about it. But when I got, you know, my late teens, early twenties, I was dating some really abusive men. And um, my son's father assaulted me with a wooden dowel and he hit me right above my eye and you could see my skull when it happened. And when I went to the hospital, I found out I was pregnant. Um, And so they had to sew the skin back then, or sew the muscle back, then sew the skin back. And I couldn't move this eyebrow for a year. He told me I was going to have to get plastic surgery to fix it. And luckily it eventually worked itself out. But, um, you know, I started getting seizures right afterwards. So, you know, I would be, you know, on the floor incapacitated and, you know, not conscious for however long, sometimes 10 minutes at a time. And my little daughter was running around and she was only 14 months old. So, you know, that was like a really hard, you know, thing I had to face. Like my kid was no longer safe with me because of this head injury. And, you know, the other thing was they prescribed me opioids and 
I, I was just a beer drinker and someone that smoked pot. I never did drugs like that. Like I experimented a few times, but you know, it wasn't really my scene. And now all of a sudden I was having this chronic pain every day that was absolutely excruciating. And, um, at first I took it and then they sent me to the pain clinic because my blood pressure kept skyrocketing because the amount of pain I was in. And, um, they told me I was on too low of a dose to get addicted. And we all know that was just big pharma pushing their product to, you know, rake in trillions off of the suffering of the American people. And um, I tried to refuse and they told me that would result in a call to CPS because I was pregnant and I was putting my baby in danger by not following their medical advice. And, you know, opioids, all they do now that I'm in recovery and I've like, you know, learned about this, like in depth, like all opioids do is make the pain receptors in your brain more sensitive. So when the drug wears off, you're going to be in twice the amount of pain you ever were. So, you know, the, the abuse got worse. I mean, he would trap me in the bathroom and literally torture me for hours, like to the point where it would start with me begging for my life. And then by the end, you know, I'd be begging him to kill me and just get it over with. And, um, first time I shot up, he trapped me in the bathroom and was like, you're going to do it and you're going to do it the right way. And I had already taken a beating that day. So I really didn't have any fight left in me. And I was just like, all right, just do it. Like, leave me alone after this. And so that was how I started shooting up. And, um, after, you know, the final showdown between me and him, where he put me in the hospital for the last time, you know, like two years later, um, he ended up getting into a high speed chase, you know, uh, brought a, I was, I was hiding out at my friend's house and like three in the morning, he was sitting on the fire escape with a shotgun and then ends up getting into a high speed chase with the cops. And so, you know, he ends up going to jail, but I had lost my public housing because of that incident. So, um, I went to Spruce Run, the battered women's shelter in Bangor, and um, they first called me a liar because they said, most women come in here and they're crying and they're upset. You have no emotion, which shows how much they know about trauma. I mean, I was in shell shock. Like when I was eight months pregnant, he held a knife up to my face. He'd already pushed me around and I started crying. And he's like, one more tear rolls down your cheek and I'm going to cut your face off. So after that, like I just would suck it up and just bottle it up and you learn you know, to you learn to yeah. keep your emotions in yeah yep and um so i went and i got the police records i got my hospital records and i brought it to these people like call me a liar again and then they went over all of it and they're like well your injuries are so extensive and the abuse is so bad that we can't help you. And I go, what, you don't have beds open? They go, no, we have two beds open, but you know, your situation puts the other women in the shelter in danger. The girl who got the bed, who lived in the same public housing as me, didn't even get hit. The guy kicked her car. And yes, that is domestic violence, you know, destruction of property and intimidation. But compared to my situation where I hadn't done anything wrong, you know, I was being abused and there was nothing I could do about it. And I lost my housing, you know, they were going to help her and not help me. Mm. And so, you know, that was like rock bottom. And I made a deal with my father that, you know, if they wouldn't help me, I'd sign my kids, you know, temporary guardianship over because, you know, I couldn't take care of them half the time anyway, like on really bad days when, you know, I was, you know, the head injury was kicking in. Like, no, I was not a safe caregiver. Like I was on the floor unconscious half the time. And, you know, um, once I did that, once I signed temporary guardianship over, I lost my health care. So I lost all my prescriptions. I lost, you know, the ability to go to the doctor, any, you know, any help I could have gotten, I lost it. And um, drug dealers were the only people that were willing to help me. And so I pretty much, I had to drop out of college at that point too, because I didn't have childcare anymore. And, um, yeah, it was, it was a nightmare, was a total mess. You know, I had plans. I never wanted to go to prison. I never wanted to sell drugs. And that's what ended up happening. You know, I got sucked into a life I never wanted. And because I was so hardened from all the abuse, I could handle myself on the street. I didn't back down for nothing. I wasn't scared of any, anybody at this point. I wasn't scared to die. You know, like the trauma, you know, it alters, you know, the way everything about you basically and 
you know, eventually in 2011, I caught charges for selling bath salt and other substances. And it's funny because it was legal at the time, but they made a whole, the feds made a whole new law calling it an analog substance. So it's basically saying, yes, this is legal, but it has property or effects that illegal substances do. So, you know, technically if they wanted to lock you up over coffee, they could do that. Yeah. They can call it an analog substance. So um, the state, I went to state jail. Um, I only got seven months. And then the feds picked it up two years later in 2013. And I was literally held accountable for the same drugs in the same bus twice. And then once I went to jail, um, I got to see how horrible people are treated in there. And, you know, to give you couple numbers, you know, 70% of women in American prisons have some kind of domestic violence or sexual assault in their background. We are the ones that were not protected and we were forced to do things we never would have done, basically. You know, and America makes up 5% of the world population and we have, we make up 25% of the global incarceration population. We have more people in prison than entire continents and they want to gaslight us with land of the free. And I'm sure everyone's wondering, well, why would they do that? Because a hospital saves $350,000 a year contracting with prisons to have inmates wash their linen instead of paying people a minimum wage. They want a free workforce and that's what they get. You know, when you go to prison, you work 40 hours a week yeah. and you get, we were getting paid $5.25 a month. So they have bypassed slavery laws and, you know, with mass incarceration and it's easy to demonize people, you know, and then, yeah. you know, call them a drug addict, say they're a criminal and then just throw them away. And um, I mean, it's, it's really pretty disgusting what's happening. And, you know, over the pandemic, um, there's a reason why all these jails across America, they were taking out PPP loans and extending their prisons. They were adding more wings onto their jails to get to fill these beds. And these corporations said, oh, we'll buy all the prisons as long as they stay 90% full. So now they're criminalizing homelessness. In some cities, you can't even feed a homeless person without you know, getting a fine. And we went from three empty properties at the beginning of the pandemic we're now at 29 empty properties for every homeless man, woman, and child. You know, people want to say the system's broken. It's not. It's doing exactly what it was designed to do, which is oppress us, take our money, and, you know, they, they don't even want to pay us a minimum wage, let alone a living wage. They would rather round us all up and put us in prison. And the things that happen to people in there, I mean, my first week at Somerset County, I witnessed an entire pot of women get stripped out because they signed up for a razor and a male sergeant wanted a list of who shaved their vaginas and who didn't. Those that did were punished. That man still works there. You know, um, you know, for instance, and I keep hearing people say, oh, prisoners get free healthcare and three meals a day. The, the food comes in boxes that say not for human consumption on it. And I mean, I watched, I don't know how many gallbladders go while I was in there and they don't take you to the hospital unless if you're on the floor, you know, unconscious, you know, and even then they, they still don't want to take you to get medical care. A girl broke her foot shoveling the snow. She slipped on the ice. And by the time they brought her to the hospital, the bone had fused back together and they had to re-break her leg. And, you know, it's 60% of the doc prison doctors in um, Alabama They've all lost their license, their medical license through the medical board. They all have malpractice suits. It is legal for a doctor who has lost their license to work at prisons and native clinics. Sure. I mean, they are still actively committing genocide and it's, it's repulsive. I mean, I met a handful of women in there who had been sterilized against their will, you know, unknowingly by the prisons. And this was before Trump filled up the ice camps and you heard about all those refugee women, um, yeah. you know, getting sterilized against their will. They were doing this to American women before that. And one thing I noticed after meeting like four women that this happened to was that not a single one of them was white. And now all of a sudden it's a great day for white lives with the overturning of Roe v. Wade. 
And it's like, I understand people who have never been to prison, like really how don't understand this and like hasn't, you know, seen this, but this is what's happening. They are still actively committing genocide against certain races, you know, of people in this country. And, you know, if we don't do something about it, this is where we're headed. They are just going to round us all up and put us in prison and put us to work. I mean, this is what they're pushing us to. <laughs> Which state? Um, you mentioned Alabama. Is that where you did time? No, um, the feds sent me to Alderson, West Virginia and Danbury in Connecticut. And, you know, when I was at Danbury, they built an $80 billion brand new facility down the hill just to house like 50 more inmates and get more money that way. Meanwhile, up at the camp, we had an inch of black mold in the showers. And, you know, I keep hearing people, you know, crying over these January 6th terrorists not being able to get to, to get a haircut in jail, saying that their rights are being violated. The water shut off during the hottest days of the year. We didn't have water for three days at Danbury. And these people are crying over haircuts. I mean, it's, it's just absolutely repulsive what's happening. And, you know, one thing I always try to push, predators flock to these institutions for employment because they know, they know that those victims will not be believed. They will not be listened to. And if they are, it's, well, you're an inmate. <laughs> you should be grateful for the attention. That's how women in prison are treated. And, you know, I was forced to strip in front of cameras under duress of being maced and extracted and, you know, all that. And for those of you who are like, oh, well, I just refuse. You can do that, you can refuse, and you will be met with a 12-person SWAT team with electric shock shields, batons, mace. They have these canisters of chemicals they throw in your cell, and it's chemically designed to take the oxygen out of your throat. And when it hits one cell, it hits all of them. So all the inmates that weren't doing anything wrong, it's coming through the vents and hitting them too. And it's terrifying being locked in one of these cells You know when this is happening. They use extreme violence, they do not care. And in the state of Maine, it's illegal for um, to have cameras inside those cells. They do it anyway, and they get away with it. Um, so when I went when I went to Alderson, um, I filed a PREA complaint against them. That stands for Prison Rape Elimination Act. And um, so anything sexual goes under PREA. And um, when Alderson got the complaint back from Somerset County, they wouldn't allow, allow me to even hold it to read it myself. They wouldn't give me a copy. I wasn't allowed to send it home. And um, they read it to me. And the captain who did the investigation, because these jails get to conduct their own investigations in their own facility. So it, they, they, they get to decide how the investigation turns out. So he admitted to everything I was complaining about and then deemed it unfounded. And when you deem it unfounded, that prevents it from going to an outside source. So that just buries it right there. Yeah. And the fact that they wouldn't give me a copy is because you only have a hundred days to file an actual complaint when you get out of prison. You know, you know, they give you a window of time when you get out, if something happens to you in there. But the first thing they ask is where's the paperwork? Was there an outcry at the time? Where's the PREA complaint? I went to the freedom of information act and they could not find this complaint. Mm. And then after I got out, the captain at Alderson and four of his subordinates all got convicted of raping and stalking inmates and tampering with PREA evidence. So I wasn't even close to their worst victim, not even close. And, you know, these institutions are covering for each other. It is the most corrupt oh. thing. They bury the abuse. They don't give the inmates the paperwork that they request. And this creates other problems too. Like I couldn't get my medical records. So um, the doctors are like, well, we can't prove that you were on this medication before. So we're going to put you on it again. Even though I told them it made me suicidal. I had to go on a medication again that made me suicidal because the insurance company didn't want to pay for something else before, you know, I tried that. And, you know, <laughs> this, this is their form of rehabilitation, you know, abusing people. If, if you want to abuse people and punish them, fine, call it a punishment, but you're not going to sit here and say, oh, we're rehabilitating them because you're not. You cannot traumatize people and expect them to get better. So you know, when, um, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no. I, I just so many questions are popping into my mind. I, I, I'm being being a, a civilian, I, I'm completely unaware of this. 
And yeah. so I'm, I'm dumbfounded about hearing, a, um, gosh, I just have a, a bunch of questions here. I, right before we recorded, you mentioned about you're working on some bills to get passed. I want yes. you to talk about that. But okay. quick, but before we get to that, and so, so being a woman, you might not know the answer to this, but does this go on? Have you spoke to any uh, convicts who have been released from men's prisons? Is this going oh, on? Oh yeah, it's it's worse in the men's prison because you know um, they'll fight back and yeah, oh, yeah, they they'll fight back with the cops and women are less likely to do that and they will come in with you know riot gear and everything. It is yeah. just as bad and the cops will allow certain people to get hurt. They know what's going on. The, the only thing that I've heard of in the last five years, just passing a news channel or reading it somewhere, is that they're looking to privatize the prisons, right? Taking it away yeah. from the government. So that's what. So this is what's happening. They're slowly yes. becoming privatized by corporations. Yes, and you know they're in some states are different, but for instance, one jail was owned by a judge, so he was sentencing people that were going to his jail and he was making money off of every day they spent yep. in his jail. This is a conflict of interest and it's corrupt. Yeah. You know, you heard about that one judge making a thousand dollars off of every child he sent to a certain juvenile center. And they, they use words like juvenile and convict to dehumanize us. You know, I was in, when I was at Cumberland County, they brought um, a juvenile child from Long Creek. It's the only juvenile center in the state and every couple months or every couple years, they are in the paper for some atrocities, like straight up crimes against these kids, broken arms, sexual assault, choking them out, beating them till they're, you know, almost dead. This is the kind of stuff. They brought this one girl, she was 17 and she got tired of getting raped and she ended up stabbing one of the COs with a pencil. So they brought her with us, the adults. Just to terrorize her further, they told her on Christmas she was going back there for her last two weeks. She slit her throat that night. And, you know, <laughs> then, then, it, then it comes out that the, the guy at the top, um, he, he resigned and people under him resigned because three kids killed themselves and, you know, all kinds of sexual abuse allegations. And they don't care because these are government or you know law enforcement institutions you are six times more likely to get sexually assaulted by a law enforcement yeah. you know person than you are you know a civilian and i'm not here to push all cops are bad because you know that doesn't help anything and for every cop that oppressed me there was another risking their job trying to make it stopped right but there's such a scary number of sociopaths in law enforcement yeah they don't care. I was in solitary, you know, in full blown psychosis because they gave me the wrong medication. And I had a female sergeant telling me to kill myself. She told another inmate to kill themselves and they had to cut that inmate down from a suicide attempt. She's still getting, she still works there, getting her pension paid by the taxpayers. This is what we're paying for. Yeah. Uh, and you know, Oh, you, uh, one of the bills I'm working on, um, it yeah, ties into that whole Priya thing. Um, so there needs to be a consequence for, you know, when these institutions stonewall people. And like, for me, they didn't, they won't give me my paperwork. There should be a financial consequence for every day they refuse to do that. Because right now, legally, they have to give it to me. And I've requested it plenty of times. They're refusing. There's no consequence for them if they don't. There needs to be a consequence. So this is something I'm pushing for. And it really needs to be addressed because so, these institutions are getting away with killing people. So are, are these bills, bill or bills that you're working on? Are you speaking to the politicians that, and are they yep. getting any momentum? Are they, does it look yes, like it's going to happen? They're, that one in Maine, I'd, I'd really like to get that one, you know, across the board, you know, with all institutions, because it's not just jails, it's the colleges trying to keep their rape stats down. You know, it's, it's yep. the military and their rape culture. I mean, yep. I was in prison with all the female uh, military vets that were thrown away because they stood up to their rapist. You know, th this is, these are the women who are going to prison. Like, these I are want, the ones. 
it's I watched, I watched, uh, you mentioned something about a judge um, who had a stake in one of the prisons. So every time he sent somebody to a prison, he got a thousand dollars or something. Yeah. There was a show, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it was, it's quite popular called Queen of the South. Yeah, I love yeah. that show. Okay, okay. It's all about Teresa Mendoza. And there was a judge in Alabama, I think, that was doing exactly that. He owned the local prison. He was on, like, he was the CEO of, and it was privatized. And every time he sent someone to prison, he got a thousand dollars bonus or something. So the only reason I mentioned that is that at least Hollywood or, or somebody's making this aware because I, I've never heard of this. No, but people really think it's just a Hollywood movie script and that it, it doesn't happen. This is still happening all over the place today. I, I mean, I, they I'm, they want to talk about, oh, we got to bring crime down. You know what? You don't want to bring crime down because you're profiting off crime. The lawyers are profiting off crime. The judges are, pro are profiting off crime. And the jails are. And so are the corporations. I... I have spent time overnight in jail. I've had a couple of DUEs and I've had a couple of drug charges, but these were just local precincts where you get locked up overnight and you right. get released in the morning. There was one one place I had to spend two or three nights, um, but those aren't prisons. Those are just jails where you get bailed yeah, out and whatever. So um, I, I've seen- I mean, the you're no safer there. I mean, when Katrina oh. hit, they let 700 inmates that most of them hadn't even been sentenced yet. So, you know, this whole innocent till proven guilty, that's complete crap because they let 700 inmates drown, you know, instead of getting them out of there. But you, you didn't hear about that. You, no, you, you no. never heard about that. No, we heard more about how they rescued the animals, of course, because it's a human. Right. Uh, oh, Elizabeth, I, 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 I am dumbfounded. I'm just not... I didn't see this coming. I, I, you know, when I took you on, I thought we were going to talk about, I, I knew you had gone to prison and I thought we were going to, I was going to hear a, a, an abusive relationship story and then how you got addicted to drugs. I did. I had no idea that this was coming and I am so sorry that you went through that. Tell us where you are today because I know today you're yeah. in a better place. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I got out on probation after three years and I was on, you know, $1,200 worth of prescription meds from the prison. So I had no way to pay for that. And so on probation, I'm like spacing these meds out, you know, trying to, you know, stay stable. And some of these psych meds will kill you if you just stop taking them. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, Paula Page was the governor of Maine. So, you know, when I went to try and get health insurance, they said, well, you need to be pregnant. I'm like, I'm just trying to be okay enough to get back to my, you know, my kids are already here. And so when I went back to Danbury, um, I ended up weaning myself off this stuff because I'm like, I'm not paying for it. I'm not doing yeah. it. And it's not helping me anyway. Um, and when I got out, Janet Mills expanded main care and took over for him. So I was able to get trauma counseling. I was able to go to mat treatment when I needed it. And that was like the bare minimum of how I turned my life around. That's what gave me just enough of a fighting chance right. to, you know, because I, I had to deal with my trauma first before I could deal with my addiction. You know, that was the reason I kept relapsing. You know, I'd have a panic attack every time I left my house. Yeah. And so, you know, it was rough. Um, the first, so, yeah, the first couple so, of years were really rough, but I, I'm, yeah, I started having art shows like. Um, well, and, and I see I, a, I see a painting in the background. Tell us about. Yeah. Tell us about how you got into to painting or, or Well, or, I I've always been a painter, but when my life fell apart, you know, there was just no time for doing any of that. And um, when I went to prison, um, I would my hustle was I would paint coffee cups for inmates, and then I'd seal it with floor wax so it wouldn't wash off. And um, I do portraits for people. I would, you know, paint, you know, stuff so they could send home to their kids. You know, everybody crochets in there. You know, there aren't too many artists. So, you know, I got a lot of money that way. And it was just a way to survive because, you know, again, they were, you know, paying us $5 and 25 cents a month. And mind you, like a pet, um, a package of ramen noodles that cost 20 cents out here cost $1.50 in there. So they jack all these prices up to, you know, buying it in bulk. So they get it super cheap. 
they don't have to do that to us, but they want to make money off of us any way they can. And um, so, yeah, when I got out and the pandemic hit, um, I started doing art shows in the community and I um, found this company called The Galleriste. Um, they're from Canada and they turn your art into like this beautiful feminine clothing line and it even comes in plus sizes. And um, so I signed up with vocational rehab and they helped me like really set this business off. They helped me, okay. you know, write a business plan. You know, they helped me get a grant. I was like, Oh my God, I've never gotten 10 grand legally before. Like, this is great. <laughs> and um, yeah. So, so I that's your brand today. That's where yeah. you, okay. It, well, my brand is called EPM clothing. Um, I can show you guys some stuff too. Um, like here's one of my bags. Okay. Um, well, unfortunately, this is a podcast, but oh, right. I, but I, I do I do have a YouTube channel, so I can put this on YouTube. Oh, but, cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Show, show like, us again. Yeah, this is one of this is a placemat. It's my lucky koi fish, okay. and everything's environmentally friendly. And um, I paint all these designs. I don't make the clothes, but I I do the designs. You do the, nice. Okay. Yeah. To, so to the great. audience, she's holding up some beautiful. Um, so that is a, a scarf. scarf. Yeah. Yep. And she had and a handbag before and she had Yeah. This is a pillowcase. And a pillow as case. you can see, like I one day I will paint like flowers and butterflies and pretty stuff. And then the next day I'll be like super gothic and you know, dark femme type. So there's really something for everybody here. I mean, I got little tiny bags. I mean, there's dresses, shirts, you know, pants, scarves, headbands um pillowcases they even added sheets so i'm gonna paint something new and come up with some sheets did you have you i'm just curious because i i, I see you have a tattoo and i have tattoo do you ever do any tattoo work i tried to do tattoos but it like i don't know it gave me a lot of anxiety and i'm high functioning autistic and the vibration of the gun like really bothered uh, okay. me yeah, so yeah, yeah. it was just one of those things like i just really well, didn't but like it. not maybe not doing the tattoo itself but maybe doing the artwork for somebody yeah 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 okay. I, I would do something like that um okay. here's another one of my bags okay wow yeah and i got stuff them. I went around and talked to some of the local stores and I got, um, yeah, I got it on some shelves in some local stores. My goal is to get them into like a big retail store. So I think that would be cool. Yeah. Um, but, oh, you were asking about the bills that actually got passed. So yeah, tell um, us about that. We got a bill passed in Maine mandating all the jails provide tampons and pads free of charge to um, inmates. And that is a problem they will literally make you buy tampons and like triple charge the price and you know they'll they'll have these cheap pads otherwise and you have to wear like four of them to get any protection and you know like when they run out they're not too quick to go get you more i mean i've watched a female guard tell somebody go ahead and bleed on yourself what do i care so the game turns into you got to go up to the biggest most masculine <clears throat> male guard and make him feel as uncomfortable as possible. Like straight up, just be like, what do you want us to do? Bleed all over the place? We can't like get this stuff for ourselves. So unless you want all these women bleeding on everything, like you need to go get us sanitary stuff. And it's like to do that as a woman is just like so demeaning and degrading, but you have to. Have you thought, uh, this is just off the top of my head because in, in today's, multimedia world of streaming and Netflix and documentaries. And have you thought about taking this to somebody and have them document this, like do a, do a, do a, a show like a 60 minutes or um, an investigative, uh, this has to, I would gotta love get, to we, do that. <laughs> I don't know you, how to like pull that off, but I would love to do that. It's, I, I feel like, we have to get the word out. I, you know, I mean, obviously, getting on my podcast right. is, but I, I don't, I don't have a hundred thousand people listening. So, um, I, I, I'm just blown away by this. So, wow. Yeah. Um, I mean, and in Texas, that I think it was Scotland, it was Scotland or Sweden. They refused to extradite 
somebody back to Texas because they said that the prisons are so inhumane. And they really are. They don't even have central air in the prisons down in Texas. People roast alive in these jails and they get away with it year after year. Like this is unnecessary. You, You know, you can't sit here and say, oh, freedom and justice for all when, you know, you're, you're locking people up to this extreme. And it's, it's, you know, if I wasn't a white woman, I would have gotten much longer than 37 months. Yeah. That's just the reality of it. And I'm not going to sit here and, you know, co-sign with white supremacy and be like, oh, everybody's equal. And if you, if you just do the right thing, like, no, that's, that's not, that's not the way things are going. I, I'm, I, this is just a shot in the dark. I'm just going to ask my audience if anybody's listening that has any connections to any kind of film producer or executive producer or anybody that does documentaries, please reach out to Elizabeth or I. And um, I, I think that I'm going to, I, this venue that you and I connected through, I think I'm going to look, we should look for some podcasts. Uh, podcasters who might have some background in in media filmmaking. I just can't imagine. I, I can't imagine there's not a film crew out there that would love to do a documentary on this because because I feel like grabbing my camera and like let's say let's go down and start doing some interviews. Are you? Do you keep in touch with any of your? I guess ex inmates that you were. Oh yeah, you know we like form little families in there. I had like four mothers and eight aunties, and you know, uh, they're all my sisters. Like we were all being dragged through that together, and you know, like they. <laughs> it's funny because they, if if I'm messing up, they'll be the first to tell me and be like, "Man, no, you are so talented and you have so much to offer. Like, what are you doing?" And you know it's not like those, those fake friends who will just right. let you continue to be stupid. And they're always the first to, mm-hmm. you know, like push my podcast or, you know, push my business. And like, there's just so much support and like, oh. they, they want you to think you're going to go there and it's going to be, and yeah, there are catty miserable women in there, it's but right. you know, it, it's kind of like how you conduct yourself and how you carry yourself. And you need, you need mentors in there to help you get through that. And and, and and I and you just mentioned you have your own podcast. What is the name of that? So we can promote. well, me and my friend who were at Danbury, we are in the beginning stages of um, launching a podcast. Okay, it's going to be called it's called, going to be called Pretty Little Felons. Okay, all right. Um, if you need any help and with how to get off the ground, because I I just got off the ground this year, but I'm I'm. This you're going to be episode number fifty, I think. Um, I would love to we help you. We have a you. producer who oh, good, um, good, has good. her own podcast, so yeah, she's pretty right. great. She knows what she's doing. <laughs> Thank uh, you, though. But I would network and find somebody that that is looking to do a documentary because yeah, uh, they really should. And you know, another thing, this is going to anger some of the taxpayers because this is literally like where your money is going. You know, aside from the five billionaires who, you know, sunk at the bottom of the ocean, when you first go to prison, they, um, if you don't have your GED or your high school diploma, they make you take the GED. And that's great if you don't have a GED. But what was happening is they're making like two grand for every inmate that enrolls in the GED and another two grand when they graduate. So these caseworkers were telling inmates, well, you got to get your high school transcripts, even though your entire, you know, education history is in your pre-sentencing paperwork. They know this. They say, no, you have to have your high school transcripts. Inmates have no way of getting that, you know, and some of these women, the, the high schools are shut down. Like there's no, you don't have phone books. You don't have internet. You don't, you you know, calls cost $3 and 50 cents for, you know, 15 minutes. And so they have no way to prove this. So they make you take the GED or you can go to the hole or the shoe. So we had all these women in there, you know, with PhDs and doctorates being forced to take the GED just so the prison could make money. Like this is where your tax money is going. And it was so funny because, you know, these racist cops would go up to all the black inmates and be like, oh, you need to take the GED. And they'd have like doctorates 
and you know really high levels of education like way more than these you know guards did and you know it was just disgusting to watch like i went through life you know before i went to prison like i grew up in maine it's 94 percent white people like i was not i was like under this illusion of white supremacy my whole life that oh it's all over and the civil rights movement happened and now everything's good and everything's fair for everybody no it's not it's really bad and you know in the south i mean just the tone of voice they would use with black inmates compared to how they talk to me i mean it's just disgusting and they are so quick to use violence you know against these women and it's, it's just terrible i mean it it would blow your mind the things that happen the only the only story and connection or not connection i guess the closest brush that i have is that i had a friend of mine about 10 years ago, maybe not even five years ago, who was a guard at Rikers Island in New York City. Oh, God. And he had to, uh, he, he, it was so bad. The violence was so bad. He, I, I ran a, a mood disorder mental health group for peer-to-peer -peer people and he came there and he was part of the group and then he actually graduated to become a, a peer specialist. But he had to he had to retire because the violence got to him so so much um just i did hear some that's pretty good horrible, at least yeah. he has his humanity intact because a lot of these guards they get off on the violence yeah and they really do I, and he did because but but when he got out and he got treated he went to um one of those modalities i forget what it's called D dbt and um he's doing much better today but but that's good but I, I, I heard the stories and that's just Rikers Island, which is not a prison. Rikers Island no, is a it's, jail. It's a yeah. jail. So I can only imagine. So Elizabeth, I, I, I want to thank you so much. I, I, I'm being part, part of this podcast is that I'm very open and honest and vulnerable with my audience. And I am, I am literally blown away by your story. I just don't, we don't, the general population has no idea. We think that when, no. when, when you when you watch a, a a news story and somebody gets convicted and they're going to prison, a lot of us clap because you know the rapist and the and the child molester or whatever. Ninety eight percent of sex offenders don't see a jail cell. Yeah. These are the people they should be putting in you know environments like this. But you know, these rapists will get bail. I sat 16 months, no bail. That father that just brutally murdered his his three boys had a $20 million bail. That's that's really high. He's not going to get it. But the whole point is I, I had a nonviolent drug crime and I had no bail. I had no amount of money could have gotten me out of jail. And I, you know, my crime, did, you know, it hurt the community and mostly hurt myself and, you know, my yeah, family. But, right. you know, <laughs> it's not like I was putting a gun to people's head going, you're going to buy my drugs. Like, no, yeah. believe me, they were there on their own accord. And, and there's, and, and then of course now marijuana and, uh, and they're giving out needles to, uh, to addicts, which I think is okay. But yeah, tw 15, 20 years ago, I, even I got busted for pot possession and some other charges 20 years right. ago. Uh, and today it's legal. But people went to prison. It's not actually. Um, the feds will still yeah, arrest people for pot. You Even know? though it's and, legal state to state, the federal government says it's still not legal. Yeah, I, yeah and they, yeah. they will never, um, unless if they redo their entire um, sentencing guidelines system, because what they do is they convert all drugs into marijuana. And it's the yeah. stupidest, most useless system. For yeah. instance, one gram of cocaine will equal 200 grams of marijuana. One gram of basalt equals 380 grams of marijuana. I don't know like where these people are getting these ridiculous numbers. I've seen one tenth of a gram of basalt do more damage than 380 grams of marijuana could ever think of doing. Yeah. And you know, their whole system is flawed. And bottom line is they used it to lock up the black community. And you know, after they flooded these black communities with you know, crack and cocaine yeah. in the seventies, you know, just to get them in jail. And now big pharma did the same thing. My generation of millennials, we did what we were told. We told, we went to college and took out these crazy loans that now none of us can pay back. Pay back. And when we had anxiety and depression and broken bones, we went to the doctors trusting these doctors and we were pumped full of, you know, amphetamines, 
benzos, opioids. And we were told, don't worry, only like 2% of people get addicted. addicted yeah. And we trusted them. That, that's how I got addicted. And, I, I went to a dentist. Yeah. I went to a dentist and I got 10 pills of Percocet. This I'm going back 30 years. And I liked it, you know, of course, being an alcoholic, we like everything. But right. those, those 10 pills, I asked for another 10 and he gave it to me. And I asked for another 10, he gave it to me. Finally, he cut me off. But that's when I said, oh, and I went on. The, then I started looking at people's medicine cabinets. You know, you know the story. I mean, that's how it works. Yeah. So, okay, Elizabeth, we got to wrap this up. I, I'm, okay. <laughs> I, only because I think I'm going to have a meltdown because I, I'm just, <laughs> I'm sorry. no, don't be sorry. I am sorry for you. Oh, my God. Uh, I, to my audience, if if anybody knows of any um, way of getting this word more, I, I just feel like I, 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 I'm a little bit of an activist myself because I, I, I'm, I'm involved with a lot of organizations. Let's stay in touch. So tell us where we can find you. Are you on Facebook? You on Instagram? I yep, I'm on Instagram, um, TikTok, Twitter, and I never go on Twitter. Like I have an account, but I hate me it. Too. I always yeah, end up too. arguing with you know extremists on there. Um, but my handles are all the same. It's EPM underscore art underscore eleven eleven. And um, my clothing website, um, I, it's a portal website. I don't actually have my own website yet, but I'll get there. Um, yeah. It's legalities.com slash en slash elizabeth.makotowitz. And you have to put my name at the end of it because they have lots of other artists. So if you just put in legalities, it'll just take you to their main website. Okay. So you have to put in my name. <laughs> when, when we get off this call, tonight or when you can email me all of that I'll, I'll shoot you an email and then just reply and give me all of that information and i'll just copy and paste it right into the show notes so we get it right and is there any politicians that we can um petition that you are you running any petitions that we could sign or there are no i'm not running petitions um i literally like just started um emailing them proposals and when charlotte warren hit me back she goes this is great this needs to be in a bill um it was about um consent with police officers um there was a cop up in maine who gave a 17 year old child a bunch of pills to give to her mother who was paying for these pills to him through sex acts and um, they all got busted for trafficking, whatever, um, and endangering a child. But they, he didn't get charged with a sex crime. And I was like, he extorted her addiction. You know, as a cop who's been on the force for 30 years, he knows about addiction. So he, yeah. he extorted her. Yeah. Yeah. And um, he said, but the DA said the way the law is written, it was technically consent. And I said, well, as a woman who's been to prison, if a cop were to hit on me, the only thing I'm going to think is what am I going to jail for when I say no? Because yeah. these people have too much power. You can't really say no to them. And why is a cop getting sexually gratified on taxpayers dime anyway? Yeah. So there should be no consent when it comes to police officers. They should have the same status as correctional officers do. Correctional officers, no matter what, are going to get charged, you know, with a sex crime if they have sex with an inmate, whether the inmate came onto them or not, yeah. because the position of power is too great. Yeah. And, um, yeah. So that's kind of how I started. And then I started showing up at like democratic meetings and just telling them everything they were doing wrong. And um, so I started, you know, developed a couple relationships with um, some of the main state representatives and, you know, sure. they, I, I'd meet with them and I would literally just like unload on them and be like, this is what you need to change. This is how, you know, this is what we need to do. And Oh, the other, um, it, it wasn't a bill, but it was a city ordinance that got passed. The bill got put on the table, but um, it fell through um, in the state of Maine. So it didn't end up getting passed, but it got on the table um, and it passed in Bangor. Um, we had all these landlords charging outrageous application fees and not even renting the apartment because they were making triple the rent, you know, instead of renting the apartment they were making all that money in application fees and junk fees and you yeah. know not even renting the place so um and the homeless problem just exploded up there i mean we went from two homeless encampments to 10 yeah. in like a oh, couple it's, ramp of it's, 
It's rampant yeah. all over the country now. So. And these application fees are ridiculous. They're charging, you know, processing fees now. And so they passed um, a tenant bill of rights that a landlord can only charge an application fee if a lease is signed. And that's fair. You do not need, you know, it's like the bank fees, the, the overdraft fees of the bank. It's yeah. just free money for the rich, yeah. you know, at our expense. So, Elizabeth, uh, we, 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 can't, we can't solve the world's problem. World. We can't solve our nation's problems, but because we got some politicians in office that are just not seeing right. the big picture. I don't even want to get into what's going down on the border because that's where the drugs are coming in. That's where the homeless people, all these people that are letting in yeah. are going to be homeless. And, you know, so more encampments are going to open up. Yeah. Let's, stay, let's stay in touch. And um, I, I, I'm, I'm very happy and pleased that you came on, but I'm very sorry to hear your story. And I hope that we can, somebody somewhere will, will get this story out there. And good luck with your podcast. And you. Um, if you if you need any help or you'd like me to be a guest on your podcast, I'd be happy to come on. Thank you for joining me, Elizabeth. Everybody, Elizabeth, Matter, say it again. Mikatowicz. Mikatowicz. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. So sorry. I'm so sorry. It's okay. All right. Thank you for joining me, Elizabeth, and the best of luck. And we'll talk soon. Okay. Thank you. All right. don't even think the word wow is appropriate here I don't know about you but um, my heart goes out to her and if even 50% of what she says is accurate um, that's a pretty messed up thing that's going on uh, again I implore anybody listening to this um, to reach out to her I, I I honestly think that this should be a documentary um, uh, or, or a spotlight on one of those news channels, 60 Minutes or something. I, I just can't believe this is going on in our prison systems, especially the, 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 for the female population, and, and they're getting away with it. Uh, and she, she, you know, she, she's getting the message out there, but it needs to go widespread, so... Speaking of going widespread, it's time to get this podcast out there. So please follow me, subscribe, give me a review, give me five stars, anything, folks. This is all free for you. Please. That's all I'm asking in return. Ladies and gentlemen, and all genders listening, if you're going to make a choice, please choose wisely. Until next time, ciao.